and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I am your Fuck co-host, you. Brandon. <laughs> you're such a bitch. I'm your co-host, Dan. The mature one that's Yeah, we all love you. <laughs> it's true. He's the good one out of us. <laughs> this podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with your creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither are our D&D games. This episode is brought to you by our generous Patreon donors. Thank you guys so much for all your support. It really makes a difference to the show. It helps us improve. I mean, all this stuff that we have is because of you. Even the even the camera. <laughs> we didn't have cameras for like 30 episodes. And so. this microphone, and this uh, arm, and this uh, headset I'm wearing. <laughs> yeah, all of it. So, thank you. If you don't know what Patreon is, Patreon is a membership platform for creators to build relationships with their most loyal fans known as patrons. It's a tier based reward system that allows you to support your favorite creators for as little as one dollar a month in exchange you are offered exclusive content based on the tier that you select some of our rewards at one dollar you get access to our private discord channel our show notes ahead of time a couple other tier rewards are enjoying the show live stream like you guys are right now so i waved everyone in chat hi as well as custom tokens and even some uh getting entered to win free artwork and then of course, we have our monthly Patreon hangout. We sit and kick it with each other. Um, we talk, play games, do we do kind of whatever we want. And then, of course, we have our top tier reward is you get entered to play a game uh, with us. We are, of course, now streaming those on Twitch. If you don't find it on Twitch, head on over to YouTube.com and just type in Crit Academy. You should find it then. We're not popular enough yet to have our own like slash Crit Academy yet, but we're working on it. So yeah. if you're listening, go and give us a like so we can get that slash Crit Academy on YouTube. Before we get into our episode, we really like to start off on a high note, and we do that by giving away prizes. If they would like to be entered to win these awesome prizes that we give away, we give away three prizes every week. Where can they enter to do that? Well, that's quite simple. They can go to our website, critacademy.com, and they can subscribe. Now you can go to YouTube and hit that like button. Smash the shit out of it. Each episode, we will draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the five-star rated adventure, Banquet of the Damned, compliments of Goblin Stone. Goblin Stone is a community project for D&D fans based out of the UK. They aim to be a place where you can team up with professionals to turn your ideas into high-quality products and give every fan a chance to get published. Be sure to head over to www.goblinstone.com or you can check out our fellowship link on our website, www.critacademy.com. Brandon, who's our winner today? Our winner today is Art Bran. Congratulations to Art Brand. If you enjoy the adventure, please head on over to goblinstone.com and leave him a review. Let him know what you like, what you didn't like. Help him improve his product. We got a really great episode for you today. Our main topic is going to be talking different campaign themes. Um, when you're running a game, often people lead into a campaign theme but don't actually think about it ahead of time. And in my experiences, that can make a difference in how your, your adventure unfolds. Of course, we have our uh, Let's Talk About Blank segment where we answer uh, listener submitted questions, as well as our honor tips and tricks where we bring new and reusable material for both players and DMs. But before all that, we have In the Realm. We do have In the Realm. You guys, the we had something very interesting happen to us. So last Thursday, we were guests on a podcast. You were. Under the Capes with uh, Tim. It was really fun. He's, a nerdy po- he's got a nerdy podcast and, and invites people on that are nerdy and like him. Get nerdy with us. I had a blast. What did you guys think? I had that was fun. fun. I tell my wife about this. She's like, okay, so who cares? You're, you're being interviewed. Like, are you shitting me? 
okay, so what's the point? It's like, okay, so we interview people, right? We get guests on the show, and these guys are really big wigs. Hey, they're, they're involved with uh, the DMs Guild, and they're really popular, which means somebody out there thinks we're really popular, so we got to be on their show. <laughs> I don't think that's the way Somebody thinks we're popular! <laughs> <laughs> we really had a blast. We got to really talk about our show and, and a little bit about what got us into D&D, and it was just a, a fun interview. I think it's supposed to release sometime this week. When it goes up, you can... I'll share it on Facebook so you guys can uh, access it. But it's, uh, I think the big thing I took away from that was how far the show's come. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, just the re- reminiscence of where it was to where it is now. People actually wanted to talk to us. Yeah, that's weird. Talking about our whole two listeners that we used to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we really had a great time. It was uh, underthecapes.com. So if you guys want to hear us talk a bunch of bullshit to another person, have at it. Talk a little bit about you know how we got the show started and, and the, the, the process that we went to get where we're at now, which a lot of you have actually been following that from like a listener standpoint. But it was more about the process we went to setting it up, how we determined what segments we were going to do and that sort of thing. So if you guys are interested in something like that, please check them out at underthecapes.com. I got a new phone. You got a new Nobody phone? Nobody gives a fuck that you got a new... Actually, a new when phone. I got mine, I was really excited. So tell us, Ian, <laughs> tell us about your new phone. <laughs> if you tell me if it's an iPhone, I swear to God, you're off the shelf. No, no, no. Actually, half the group I went through was because I did that one on the iPhone. Ah, <laughs> it's an iPhone. good. It's actually a... A Motorola G5. What the hell is that? Is that like a flip phone? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of these things. It's an Android. Oh, you got an Android. That's pretty. That's cute. No, but my old provider, though, Virgin Mobile, they're basically going iPhone only. So I'm like, screw that. I don't want that. So I went to Best Buy, found an electric phone. Boost Mobile wouldn't take it because again, they're sort of like, you don't have a SIM card in there? Buy one of our phones instead. No. <laughs> <laughs> went to Metro PCS. Uh, I'm like, I want a SIM card. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I think that'll do it for In the Realm. What do you guys think? Yeah. Brandon, if they'd like to visit other realms, how can they do that? They can go and find a magical stone, and they can go to a place called Audible. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. They can go to www.critacademy.com, and you'll find a link there to Audible where you can get a 30-day free trial along with a free audio book when you do so. And you can just cancel if you want, but... Moving on to our next topic, we have our Let's Talk About Blank segment. Where we answer questions from you, the viewers. This question comes from uh, Jason Short. How does a character know they have new abilities based on leveling up? Or is it just one of those things we allow metagaming to take care of? Uh, Brandon. You can see it in Ian's face. Whenever t- every time you mention metagaming, it's like nails on a chalkboard. It's like, motherfucker, stop saying those words. So we, we kind of have the same feeling on this. So let's, let's see what Brandon thinks. What, what do you think about this question? <laughs> do you need me to read it again <laughs> maybe they pointed me out i'm not used to that uh <laughs> well uh we were talking about this earlier and i was saying that it's a lot like when you're at work that this is how i see it when uh when you're at work and you're doing something that you've known how to do and then you find a new way to do it and you feel like you leveled up somehow <laughs> <laughs> leveled up at work like it just like just snaps just clicks and you get it yeah i oh wow that makes way more sense <laughs> i get it and the best part is this has been happening to me for the last decade and every time I feel I like like I leveled up at work, I hear the uh, the level up riff from uh, Modern Warfare. <laughs> did it, did it, did it. Yeah, Wait, that's, that's Mario. <laughs> so, what Sam here said in our chat right now, he's like, I make my players roleplay a short story of leveling up and how they progress. And that's actually kind of a cool idea. Yeah. And, and I'm now totally picturing the uh, training montage from The Crying Kid. 
<laughs> You're the best around. around. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, the way I always pictured it, and <laughs> I think they explain this pretty thoroughly in like spellcasters, that they talk about that you're constantly, like for the wizard, you're constantly researching, right? Mm-hmm. You're constantly studying, you're constantly learning. So in my in my mind, when you level up, that's your... All that training is finally to the point where you've mastered whatever that particular technique is, you know? Like, um, it's like like Mario. If I bet you, you know how when he throws that fireball, it bounces off of shit? Yeah. I always thought that if I threw it enough, eventually that shit would go straight. <laughs> but, so I never leveled up in Mario, but that's kind of how I, I pictured it. They're In their downtime, they're constantly practicing these techniques, whether it's learning how to stealth. You know, maybe at night, you know, the rogue before he goes to bed is out sneaking around and testing his ability to, to go unnoticed and tailing people. And, you know, those are things that they're doing in their active downtime. I'm not picturing Drax from Infinity War. <laughs> I'm invisible because I'm not moving. <laughs> I'm moving so That's slow. funny. Uh, what do you think about that, Ian? That always made sense to me because your character, they're always doing stuff in between when you're role-playing or when you're adventuring. So to me, training always made sense in that regard. Well, even even when they take a long rest too, right? Yeah. Because the idea, I think in the, the Wizard, it talks about that you're using some of your long rest time to study, right? Yep. That's how I've always pictured it. I like the idea of role-playing it out. When we've, we've talked about it, I think, on the show before about multi-classing, to me, that's kind of similar. When you multi-class, I always required that... You explained to me why your character did that. Now, it couldn't be more than two lines saying, hey, I'm learning this technique because in my spare time, I'm reading this manual or I'm hanging out with Ian's, you know, nut cruncher or nut puncher or whatever the hell his name is, you know, and I'm learning from him. And I think that you can do the same with techniques. And I think in one of our maybe one of our player tips, we talked about that when you learn a new technique, talk about how you acquired it, where you learned. I think we might have been talking about feats at the time. Maybe. Um, But, you know, describe kind of how you you acquired that technique. And to me, it's always something that your character's always doing. You know, you've been practicing feather fall, right? Uh, Well, how did you practice that? Well, I fucking got pushed off of a building. That's a hell of a a spell to practice. (laughs) (laughs) You like use the somatic component wrong and smash into the ground like the the Hulk and uh, Ragnarok. He jumps out of the plane and hits the rainbow bridge. Sam says, uh, one of my players botched a summoning spell as a bard and summoned a quasite with dark energy during a long rest. This is the beginning of his journey into multi-classing into Warlock. The quasite is a permanent thing that we are working out to make sure that it is not overpowered as normally uh, it is with a level 3 warlock. Um, right there, that to me is a fantastic brief line of what happened. Hey, I'm becoming a warlock. What can we do? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm dabbling in the mystic arps and oh shit, I summoned a bastard that won't leave me alone. You know, or taunts me or something the whole time. You know, hey, that's really cool. Hey, hey, listen. Hey, uh, hey. You, you need to stop right a, now before I That's a hell of a multi-class. <laughs> <laughs> Bard wizard. I'm gonna fuck you up. Here comes a fireball. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Jason, thanks so much for your submission. Uh, we hope you answered your question. You know the routine. If we didn't, send us some money. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll reevaluate yeah. our, our, our stance. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and the reason why I always like uh, grimace at the word metagaming is because, first and foremost, people keep using it wrong. Yes. I saw it. I saw it. It's supposed to be properly used then. Okay. And top of that, they use it like, like a dirty word when it really isn't. Don't be a meta gamer, dude. Can you imagine just walking down a hall and say, "Hey, quit being a meta gamer." Just some random guy. That's not <laughs> how it works. It, create it and tr- start treating it like like a uh, like a slur or something. Ice tea, you out meta in high gamer. School. Have you wandering through the hallways and I scream, "Hentai is good for you." Drink it because it sounds like a tropical beverage. 
No, normal people don't do that stuff, Brandon. I'm not normal. That'll do it for our Let's Talk About Blank segment. On to our main topic. Yeah. Yeah. Main topic. Our main topic today is campaign themes. Just as settings have personality that shape adventures that take place there, the theme of a campaign gives a distinct flavor to its stories. A collection of adventures where the adventures go from dungeon to dungeon with no connection feels very different from, say, a year-long struggle against the Cult of the Dragon that culminates in a final showdown with Tiamat herself. Is it Tiamat or Tiamat? It's Tiamat. Tiamat. It's always been Tiamat. Tiamat? Tiamat. Tia. Tia? Generally, and I, I think this comes down to the unique DMing style, but I don't think everyone really thinks about the, the, the theme of their overall campaign setting when they start. So we're going to go over some of the, the, some of the differences and kind of what makes them kind of stand out. Brandon, do you want to tell us about what uh, a Dungeon of the Week is? Dungeon of the Week. This campaign resembles an episodic TV show. This campaign resembles like you're watching a TV show. What happened last week on our show? I don't know. Let's take a read from the book. <laughs> Each session is as if it's uh, like a TV show. It's always a different kind of setting that they're going along. It's not really tied to anything. Maybe you could try throwing a, uh, a storyline into it. Think of it as every session is a filler episode for a TV. <laughs> <laughs> Once it's done, a fresh new start almost every session. Yeah. So every time you do it, every session is a brand new thing. It's a great format for cycling DMs and allowing everyone to be in the hot seat. Honestly, this is the most common format, right? Ian's going to run a game. He's gonna, we're going to go save the princess from Brandon, the, the very scary, hairy beast. And then we're going to do something else the next week. Yep. After 15 minutes, the wizard chanting the fireball spell. Will the wizard finish chanting fireball? Will Thor finish his stake? Will they ever rescue the princess from the dungeon? Stay tuned and find out on the next episode of Dungeons and Dragons. Actually, while this seems like the most disconjointed as far as adventures, I actually think this is one of the most powerful ones for a couple different reasons. One, you can change your your like actual like subgenre theme as often as you want. One week you can do a horror, another week you can do a mystery, the next week you can do a dungeon crawl. You can change it week to week, which I think is fantastic. With something like um, a campaign setting, say like uh, Curse of Strahd, that has a very certain tone. Yeah. That you have to really maintain consistently, which for some people can A, get boring, or they can get overwhelming, or they just want something different. So, in my opinion, Dungeon of the, Dungeon of the Week kind of themes are great for that sort of thing. Variety. In addition to that, it's easier to cycle DMs. If you say, hey, I, does somebody want to take over? Anybody can jump over and run their own style. And there's no worrying about whether you're going to need the same characters or if somebody dies, dying becomes less of a thing, right? Because if you're going to change the adventure every week, you can probably change characters if you want to. So. I think another good way for that is that if a player misses a day, they're not missing anything. Yeah, that's, that's another good They're missing their experience, that. but that's about it. There's no story or plot to catch up on. That is the first style of campaigns is Dungeon of the Week. Whether you can call it whatever you want, episodic, you know. But in the end, they're not really connected, and that gives you a little more fresh freedom uh, to the campaign. Ian? Maybe they're seeking out a hidden temple, or they're homeward bound after taking part in a recent war, as they go on an odyssey, shall we say. Or maybe they're having a religious mission, because faith, after all, is a powerful tool they can call others to action. The characters can be making a pilgrimage to some holy site, or maybe they are holy warriors dedicated to stamping out a particular kind of threat such as demonic, or average creatures, or maybe even undead. But, whatever the story, it implies a stronger connection between the different adventures. 
I definitely think on a mission is a very common one, having a overall goal that you are marching towards as a group. Yeah, and, and this one specifically talks about, you know, having the, the, the hero set in a specific condition that they need to escape or they need to go find something or they need to go do this, that, or the other thing. I really like this one because, for instance, uh, exploration is, is a big deal in this format where you have the Maw, the, the Savage Dawn that we're working on right now. In the Maw, the whole goal is on a mission, pretty much. It's, okay, there's shit out there. We don't know what it is. You need to go out and find it. That might take one session. That could take ten sessions, depending on how deep and how flushed out the story is. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's a, an adventure book that like, starts off like that. It just got bought. I can't remember what it was called, though. You start in the, uh, is it the Underdark? I think it's that. You are miles and miles under the ground, surrounded, yes. surrounded by drow. Yes. You start off like that, but you're prisoners, and you have nothing. Oh, is that the... Uh, your mission is to get to the surface. What's that one? Uh, Out of the Abyss? Yeah. Yes, I have not that run one. that. Is that what that is? Yeah. yeah. That's very much what that is. That might. Uh, that's a campaign setting where your goal is to get the fuck out. That's the, the, the whole premise. And that to be would be on a mission. You've got one goal, to escape. Right? I don't know how much more of that is detailed, but that's the general starting and, and gist of the adventure. And this, this goes the same way. You have some... I think that paladins are a good example of a character that represents the on a mission. I've got one goal. I'm going to slay this monstrous beast. When I level up. <laughs> when I level up. <laughs> uh, so what happens with this, with on a mission is, um, while you have a, a, a goal in mind, it's not something that's going to end overnight. It's not something that can be accomplished in a single, uh, a single uh, session or two. And because of that, it creates a kind of an overarching goal. While, while you're trying to escape, you might do other encounters and other stories. As you're you know, making your way through the, the Underdark in this case, you might encounter other quests along the way that tie into the overall, we need to get the hell out of here. Well, I'll tell you what, buddy, I'll, I'll, I'll help you out. I'll help you get out, but you got to do something for me, you know? So it leads to this kind of collection of stories um, that are, are connected stronger than, say, the Dungeon of the Week uh, format. So the next theme we have is the ultimate villain. Many, adventure <laughs> Many adventures that pit our heroes up against uh, a particular adversary naturally lead to a single villain who's ultimately really behind everything our heroes often begin their careers fighting kobolds orcs goblins you know only to discover later on that they're actually servants of some dark wizard or demon spawn or something along those lines the continuing adventures lead them to battles with a growing list of more and more powerful monsters battling hordes of kobold minions then you know their lizard leaders and lizard folk leaders and then climaxing in an epic battle against a monstrous five-headed dragon while the dragon may not have been directly involved in the heroes, you know, starting the adventure, the problem raised by the minions were a direct result of some plan that the mastermind behind it had decided on. Dance, puppets. Dance. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's mm -hmm. what it is. This is, I would say, in my opinion, this is probably the most common story, right? Oh, yeah. If you're running a campaign, generally the DM says, okay, this is what's going on. Here's the big bad. Here's his motives. Here's, here's how he's going to manipulate everything. And then as the DM's developing adventures, they find ways to connect that directly to that person, either very subtly, and maybe the players don't find out for a while, or maybe they bust in a door to save the princess, and there's the big bad showing up and giving you the middle finger and the FU as he's magically teleporting off and leaving you to deal with his minion, who undoubtedly you're going to destroy anyway. So stupid. <laughs> But that I, is the most common one. I hate that scenario because you know that the big bad's sitting there taking his last breath thinking, if I would have gotten off my lazy fat ass and taken care of the problem myself, this would have never happened. All I had to do was keep them from walking to the right. 
<laughs> it's funny. I had in one of my games I was running this this format and I had the big bad hit big bad. His goal was he was going to escape. But one of the players insisted that he wants to attack him before he goes. Nat 20. Fuck. Okay, I'll tell you what. I have planned for this guy to escape. But since you're so hell bent on trying to bring him down, let's see how it goes. He got the first attack in, so obviously the villain now had a reason to actually get involved in combat, and it didn't end well for that player. That player died because he was level 4, and the wizard, or the, the enemy, was a CR-18. <laughs> and so I tried to be very careful in saying, okay, as you attack, a barrier appears, your weapon clings off it, vibrating viciously in your hands, and he kind of just scoffs at you. If that's the best you got, you're going to die right here, little one. So. The next up was, well, what can he do? I'm going to cast sleep. Knock everybody out. It only gets a couple of them. Right. Of course, it's the idiot that insists on attacking this guy. So as he's trying to open up his portal thing again, he charges back in. I'm like, motherfucker. So, so I killed him. And then he went away. Everyone else was survived, um, though they did end up prisoners and had to do the whole escape thing. But anyways. It's like standing in front of a fully armed F-18 and going, what? <laughs> what are you going to do? He got a little Glock in his hand. <laughs> but that's what it was. And it was one of those things where I tried to lead to let them know, hey, here's, there's somebody else in charge. He was never meant to go into battle with him. He was meant to be just another uh, what, a MacGuffin, right? Yep. Hey, this guy you've been chasing is actually taking orders from somebody else. And the goal was for them to understand that. And they, one of them, it was really only one player. So, which is why the guy chose the sleep spell over anything else. But, uh, anyways, um, so this is to me is probably the most common one. Uh, I kind of went on a little bit long of a rant. Do you guys have any comments in regards to that? I mean, a good villain can go a long way. Oh yeah, for sure. I think, I think a really thoroughly built villain with a great motive is some of the best things D&D has to offer, especially the villain that doesn't think he's a villain. Oh, yeah. The villain whose motives are, are pure. Thanos. They might have got... Thanos <laughs> is a good example, right? Yeah. This is probably the number one that everyone runs into um, and the most common you're aware of. Or another good villain feels like a Scorpius from Farscape. Like he's a very well-rounded, well-rounded character. You actually understand his, uh, where he came from, what, mm -hmm. what he's doing, why he's doing. He actually feels something to his cause. But then he does and go, oh yeah, bad guy. Yeah, and, and those are the best villains, I think. The next campaign theme, which is one I would like to try because I think it'd be fun, is You would have the to run a game first <laughs> with me. World-shaking events. This is a campaign where there's a, an event that the heroes have to stop. It's something that can completely alter the way the world is as it is currently. And I think the best way to do it is to actually have a time limit till it happens to give them that, that, that push to get it done. Because I like the idea of a campaign where if you save it, or if you actually complete it, then you save the world. But then if you don't complete it, you jack the world up some other hell, and they got to deal with that and keep going on in that kind of realm. Another yeah. a good example is, actually I thought about it before I read it, was Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> you have the uh, meter coming down, uh -huh. and you have a set time to save the world. Yeah. In, in, in my opinion, the things that are world-shaking events... This is the best time to make the, dis the, the choices that the players have have an impact. If they don't do what they need to do, the meteor hits, destroys Half-Life, congratulations. We are now in a homebrew version of Forgotten Realms. I, I haven't seen a lot of these. I think in 4th edition, and correct me if I'm wrong, anybody, um, the Spell Plague was a big thing. It was a catastrophic event that marked the entire planet, marked the planet, you know, and start created this, you know, surge of, of magic everywhere, and magic became super common, you know? Or there's that one plague that went around 
uh, wow for a while due to a gang glitch. Oh yeah, the 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 disease thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that spread and killed everyone. Everyone was avoiding the cities and shit. Yep. That's a good one. What if it's not like a cosmic disaster, but like a famine or a, a disease? Oh, that would be so cool. Or Did a drought. The, didn't the CDC do that on purpose as an experiment? No. No, but they used it as a metric to test how people infect others. They actually did use the <laughs> incident, though, as a research point. Mm-hmm. Because, well. yeah, that's... And the players actually behaved in-game the way people actually would behave during an actual play event. Yeah. Run away! Um, <laughs> or so not anyways, log in. <laughs> um, or not log in. Just, just not play for a while. Um, so for something like this, it's, it's super important because this is something that really can be used to lead in from using a predetermined setting, uh, 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 a pre-built campaign setting by somebody else to usher in towards a homebrew you want, right? Mm-hmm. So you could say that, okay, I've been, I've been developing this homebrew, we've been running in Forgotten Realms, but I don't want to just zap their characters away. What you could do is have this big thing, albeit maybe they can not stop it, but mitigate it, right? They can mitigate it in some way where, okay, this half of the world is, you know, destroyed, so we gotta, we got to migrate over to another side or something. But it could be a good inter- uh, opportunity to, to shift a current campaign setting into a homebrew. Ooh, why the fabric of space-time is breaking apart, and when mer- worlds merge into another world. Ooh. Oh. That could be a good way to bring in, like, different That's, technology. That sounds hardcore. Yeah. Because you can bring in, like, different technologies and stuff, like alien-type weapons and, yep. and, and sci-fi-style stuff. That could yeah, be cool. Got a fighter walking along. He picks up this, this thing that's like, the hell is this little metal cylinder? He tosses it. It turns on. It's a lightsaber. <laughs> like, no. Oh, yeah. Sam says you can also introduce exotic races that aren't normally seen with something like that. <gasps> Did you ever play the game Rifts? No, but I know of it. Oh, man. In ri- so I could see using uh, the world-shaking events, something like rifts where these, these portal things kind of open up in the air in these giant like demons of different elements. For instance, if it was like fire, these giant flame tendrils would like shoot out of this rift and stick to the ground, and like it would create like a portal to a different dimension, in this case maybe the fire plane or something, and uh, allow them to traverse while it's sucking away the nutrients to the, to the rest of, of, of that world. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, the one thing that I wanted to really talk uh, talk about real quick on some world shaking event is in Final Fantasy uh, fourteen, uh, a realm reborn. In the very beginning of it, <laughs> Bahamut effing destroys the entire continent, and they have to pretty much restart all over again. I always thought it would be amazing to have players experience that firsthand. What if you guys are adventuring and something happens beyond your beyond your control? You know, in this case, the moon opens up and you find out that it's not, um, this moon has been uh, a spell container for this monstrous beast and it breaks open and you find out that this elder primal has been trapped inside this thing forever. And what's he going to do when he gets out? I mean, he's a big creature. He demolishes everything. It's like that Doctor Who episode when the moon's actually an A for a giant space creature. <laughs> Ooh. Nom, nom, nom. So, and in that case, the players and nobody might not know what's going on. There's a very select few of people that actually understood what was going on. And maybe that becomes the, and the, the adventure is figuring out, okay, who is this guy? Where did he come from? And why did he just destroy everything in the vast majority of the population? Because in reality, there was only a few key, key people that actually knew that Bahamut was trapped inside of that, you know? Yeah. And in your case, it's, you're one of the heroes. But what if you're not? What if you're one of the people that doesn't know, you know? I think it'd be awesome to, to have an event like that. Anyways, moving on to our... Next one. The unfolding prophecy. It's not a D&D game without at least one prophecy. If you I know, me. right? <laughs> this theme puts a spin on the world-shaking events. And by casting them as an unfolding fulfillment of some ancient prophecy. Often a campaign setting that follows this starts off with some sort of event that identifies it as 
part of the prophecy, such as the coming age of a princess or a prince, the birth of a child, attempted or successful assassination of someone of importance, and a call to action to those who would be destined for greatness. The great thing about a well-crafted prophecy is its ambiguity. I love ambiguity. I hate that word. <laughs> While the heroes may learn or assume that they know the meaning, you can twist and contort its meaning to catch them by surprise. Either way, there may be someone out there leading the charge to this prophecy, and the path chosen by the heroes can be one of acceptance or defiance. What is the most common unfolding prophecy? The chosen one is born. There's a very, there's a very specific story that every person knows: the sword and the stone. Oh, right. Is that not the most common unfolding prophecy? The one who pulls away, pulls the sword from the stone, will become the guy who. Is king of all Britain or whatever? What is the? What, do you remember what it is? He who pulls the th- sword from the stone shall be the king of all of England. Yeah, there you go. There. <laughs> this is a super fun one. If you really are a creative writer and you can mesh things together really, really well and twist them to your to your liking, coming up with a good poem that you know I had one picked out for this and I don't know what I did with it. I don't know either. A good poem <laughs> that talks about uh, some sort of event that's going to happen. And it's something that you can twist easily. While it may mean one thing, you can easily interpret, uh, interpret it in another way, leading to un- the unfortunate success or failure of the heroes, especially if they misinterpret it. Like A really good example is the Blind Prophet from the 80s. Why don't you tell us about that? Blind Prophet from the 80s made a bunch of prophecies that so far have come true. Some of them were kind of vague. What was one of them? So about two steel birds flying into uh, into something while the wolves howl in the bush. It had something to do with the Twin Towers and President Bush. Yeah. But kind of, people just kind of like pieced that together. And one of their her last ones was the 44th president will be the last president of the United States, which was Obama. <laughs> that all makes sense. And now I was here thinking, okay, so it's going to be World War III. We're going to go to war. Something bad's going to happen. And then I finally realized, wait a minute. Thanks to Donald Trump, the presidency is now a popularity contest. <laughs> it's always been a popularity contest. Moving on. Um, so, for instance, Nostradamus, I would say, is the most great, reliable source for good things like this. So, being seated by night in a secret study, alone resting on a brass stool, a slight flame coming forth from the solitude, the witch is not believed in vain, is made to succeed. Now, we could break that apart and say, okay, well, what does the first line mean? Being seated by night in a secret study. Uh, is that talking about the victim? Is that talking about the hero, the enemy? You you don't really know. What about you know alone resting on a brass stool? What is laying? What is alone resting on a brass stool? Is it the victim? Once again, is it the 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 villain? You know because they can be so ambiguous. Is that right? Is that a word? <laughs> ambiguousness. Ambiguous. Ambiguous. Yes. It's a word uh, because now. it can be. <laughs> <laughs> because it can be so ambiguous, you can get a lot of freedoms with, and no matter how hard the heroes work, something can always go wrong with those. And I think that's what makes those really interesting. If your goal is to, say, stop this child from becoming king, what happens if you stop that from happening and your goal was actually to make them king? What, how does that change the story? And I think with a DM, you get a lot of play in something like this. And this is a really fun one, personally. What do you see makes this, this style interesting? It's very open-ended. There's so many ways it could go. Yes, and it can start. It doesn't have to be planned out that far in advance because you can bend and twist the story. If you start that as your the start of your adventure, you can even in, let the choices that the players make actually influence what the outcome is. Like if they think of something far more creative than what you thought of, because <sighs> players do that all the yeah. time. 
<laughs> like no matter how many things I create of there, they say something. For instance, uh, the adventure that my folks here ran and killed the the innocent people. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. Uh, they were fight. They were in a tower of illusion, right? And they killed some innocent people who they thought were blobs. The adventure doesn't say that. Ouch. Doesn't say nothing <laughs> about that. But one of them said, "Oh my God, what did we kill back there?" Or something along those lines. I'm like, "Hell yeah!" And I jumped right on that <laughs> shit. So with something like this, I feel like it gives you a lot more of that control, right? And allowing you to feed what the players say. One of my personal favorites. So, so when the players really get into it, they make their own story. Yes. You can just feed off of it. In that, there's, oh man, I think that's one of our tips, actually. Did you read ahead? No, you're not. It's not, it's not like you to read farther ahead. You're an asshole. Oh, yeah, it is. It's our player tip. Anyway. Well, goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> there was one I was going to put on here, and I decided not to, and that's Divine Reckoning, you know? We kind of covered that one, though. Yeah, we did, under Earth, uh, Earth, Shat, uh, Earth Shaking, right? Because uh, God's battling is kind of like that. But I think that also could kind of be its own campaign arc. Now, one thing I do worry about the, what the whole unfolding prophecies thing is, if you make it look like something's going to happen, but then you completely turn it on its head, you can take it too far sometimes. Yes. Like, uh, one example is, did you ever watch the show Lost Girl? No. Okay, spoiler for those who haven't watched the show, the main character didn't know who her father was. Mm-hmm. And throughout the entire your series, they could have been like, dropping a lot of hints. And anybody who read Norse mythology is like, her dad's totally Odin. What? He's known as the Wanderer? I was like, oh, the me. What? He's the man with the walking stick? I was like, oh, then. Oh, these two guys who are ravens and thought they served her father and the name are Hugo and Mugen? Mm. So I was like, oh, then the me. Oh, he's going to lead an army of the dead from a place called Valhalla? It's Odin. Hey, guys, I'm Hades. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see where something like that would, would be a problem. So I guess that'll do it for our main topic today. If they would like to submit topics for us to discuss how can they do that <laughs> they can reach us on facebook or twitter at crit academy or they can go to our website critacademy.com yeah send, send us a message ask us nicely or email us at critacademy at gmail.com yes before we move on to our honor tips and tricks we have another gift to give away compliments of lore smith each episode we will draw another lucky subscriber's name and they will win the best-selling adventure the claws of madness compliments of lore smith Lawsmith is a small indie team of creative artists who remember exploring the realms together with friends, finding incredible places, and meeting colorful characters along the way. They set out to deliver an experience that sparks those lasting impressions that pushed them to create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This best-selling adventure is one that you don't want to miss. And our winner this week is JL Sparky 3. Uh, All right, give us a reply, JL Spiker 3 You are the winner. We'll go ahead and give you the link, and you download the adventure, and you have some fun with that. Yeah, if you enjoy your adventure, please let Lord Smith know. Leave him a review, tell a friend, all that jazz. Moving on to our Unearth tips and tricks, we have our first one, our character concept, which is submitted by listener Nathan. A half-orc that fervently believes that he is a demigod. He talks of how the, he plans on ascending to the heavens again. But the other gods have thrown him from the skies to live among mortals as punishment. Other orcs don't accept him because he makes these ridiculous claims. And humans, elves, dwarves, generally don't accept him because he's a half-orc. Oh, he's screwed either way. (laughs) An outcast in this world, the half-orc roams from town to town, living the life of an adventurer and trying to achieve enough glory that the gods will allow him back into the heavens. Whether these claims are delusional or not can't be made up by the player or the DM. The orc 
is a Tempest Cleric, drawing his power from the might of thunderstorms. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. He might claim that he is, in fact, the god of thunder. His name is Thork. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? I, I really like this character concept. Not only has he been, uh, claims he's been, you know, cast aside from the heavens, but since he's an ugly-ass orc, nobody on material plane wants anything to do with him either. You know, so it creates a very interesting kind of lost outcast kind of feel. What I think is really interesting, um, I was reading an article, or uh, uh, I was in a heated debate uh, on Facebook about a guy who was, his character wants to be a god, or a, uh, uh, like a, a dragon, or, or, or some shit, and he's just polymorphed into a, a level, and, and I'm just like, why don't you just make him crazy? And, and Nathan kind of touches on that with this, you know, all these claims could be real, or they could be just delusions of grandeur, and I think either way you play that, I think it would make for an interesting character, but if it turns out that he's delusional... Because everyone's going to think that automatically, right? That reminds me of, um, <laughs> you know, the Mortal Kombat web series, right? That one lasted for one season, unfortunately. Oh, the more realistic one? Yeah, but I remember the, when they were showing a montage, showing just in the characters, one of the episodes was Raiden, where he first touched on Earth, but he had the touchdown on Earth in, in the courtyard of a mental institution. Oh, yes, I did watch <laughs> that. Yeah, so he's like the Thunder God, but... No one believes him? Nobody believes him because he's, he's in a mental ward and he can't escape. Yeah, sure, sure you are. Take your meds. No, I am the God of Thunder. I must protect Earth in the Mortal Kombat tournament. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go back and watch that because that was actually one of my favorite parts of that. That and the Cyrax and Sector battle was really yeah. cool. I was so mad I like about that. I like the season after that, though, when they actually did tell a more cohesive story. Yeah, I wasn't. you don't really watch Mortal Kombat for a story, honestly. Some people do, actually. But anyway. Nathan actually has a really great point. It could be a little bit of both. Maybe he is a little bit god, and maybe he is a little bit crazy. He's a crazy god. Maybe he's not. Maybe <laughs> a little bit loony. I really like this character concept, and I would love to see something done with this. Um, I would love, personally, if I was running a character like this, I would talk to the DM about coming up with like a, a parentage, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, if I'm crazy... Who are my parents? If they're not the gods, or if they are gods, who are the who are the parents, and how do they fit into the story, and how can we make that an interesting story to tell? Um, Thork, what an awesome name! <laughs> it's almost like it's based off of realism. So yeah, I really like this. Would you guys change anything about this? Add anything to it? No, not really. This no. is like a pretty solid concept, actually. Yeah, I agree. So that'll do it for our character concept, Fallen God. Nathan, thank you so much for your submission. I'm super excited to introduce our monster variant today. We know you are. But what am I? Such a tool. This terrifying creature appears to be all muscle. Smaller, lower half, with a massive upper torso. It towers over its foes with a massive jaw from ear to ear, lined with razor-sharp teeth and a flailing two-foot-long tongue. Its skin appears to be the form of ooze, constantly shifting around its body, reaching out with dozens of tendrils. I call this monster variant the Symbiote Warrior. You just want to make Venom. I did want to make Venom. We are Venom. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> the origin for this is the Half-Dragon Veteran. Um, this actually requires uh, uh, a few removals uh, and a few additions. Uh, more than we normally do with our monster variants, but I think it's worth it. So the first thing you have to do is you have to get rid of the Fire Breath and the Crossbow, right? 
And then the next thing is going to come is going to be really important is the reflavoring of the short sword and the long sword. Uh, basically, instead of describing a short sword as an attack, you describe you know horrifying tendrils that leap from all parts of its bodies and try to you know slash or whip or pierce the uh, the, the foe. And with for the short sword, you would be kind of describing its long, massive razor claws as it's scraping and trying to cut. The cool thing, the reason I picked the veteran is because it can get up to three attacks in a turn making it very, very troublesome. The other thing is you're going to give it uh, three new features. In place of the fire breath, you're going to give it the web spell, right? Yep. Which can recharge on a five or six at the start of its turn, and its innate DC is 15. So what this does is allow him to shoot this massive web and restrain all the the players he gets the web feature he gets the web walker so he can ignore the movement restrictions caused by the webbing and he's gonna have spider climb so he can walk on walls outside of that it all comes down to your flavor and how you describe this thing right when you know you're in either a, a building it needs to be standing on the sides of the walls and the body's tendrils need to flip out and, and grab people when you do a grapple have it be some of his his tendrils whipping out and wrapping around somebody. Technically, you're still consuming one hand, but make sure you get very descriptive with it because that's where it's going to really come into play. So what do you guys think about this monster variant? Well, I'm a Spider-Man fan, so I'm down with this one. I like the symbiotes. Yes, or the symbiotes. What do they call it in the stupid video? Symbiote? Actually, I mean, I've had a very long discussion about that. It's actually a legal pronunciation of it, but why would you change it? Well... Actually, he pointed out that the character who was saying that is Indian, mm -hmm. and that actually is how they say the word symbiote over in India. He, he knows this because he has students from India. Ah, got it. How would you envision running into something like this? Or how would you run it yourself as a DM? Uh, with a new pair of pants. <laughs> would you be wearing brown ones? <laughs> yeah, it's just, this creature sounds terrifying and just as bad to fight. I mean, what would the CR be for something like this? This is a CR5, I think. All right. Which isn't too bad. Um, it actually does less damage than its uh, the original monster just by a smidge because it doesn't have Breath of Fire. But what, may, once again, makes this interesting is if you give it this, it's got a really high strength, so you could grab people and run up the wall and just like drop them from the ceiling. Whoop. And you know you can be attacking from the ceiling with these you know things going you know shooting out you know stabbing and thrusting and slapping and smashing them into the walls. And you, I love the idea of it's towering over somebody and its tongue dripping out and running along their face and leaving this gooey slime with a <laughs> all over your head. And then it kind of whips back as he's got you in his grapple. And hey. then mouth opens over top of your head. I mean, just... I think this is a meme for that. Nathan says run up a wall and stick them to a web 20 feet up. <laughs> oh, yeah. So then they're incentivized to not let go. I had a wet dream about that once. <laughs> That's it's funny. Like Nathan. But uh, anyways, I really was excited for this. Um, I watched that new Venom movie. Uh, for those of you that the don't trailer. know, whatever, the, I just watched the, tra the new Venom trailer and it really got me excited for it. So I went and started watching like Spectacular Spider-Man and shit, which is awesome, by the way. Good series. Um, but anyway, so that is our monster variant, the Symbiote Warrior. Moving on to our encounter of the podcast, we have No More Rooms. No More Rooms. After a miserable and painstaking travel through terrible freezing weather, a night promising to be much colder, our heroes arrive with hope for a bit of respite. Unfortunately, the inn is sold out and all the private rooms are taken, and the camera room has been reserved for a private party. The characters look around the room and see an entourage of out-of-town nobles and a few guardsmen. The nobles smirk at the characters while making comments such as, sleep tight or do try to keep dry, followed by a few consenting insults muttered under their breasts. 
Additionally, if they hear his request to sleep in the stables, the snobby nimble says, Our horses are rather spoiled. They hate to share it with strangers, so we reserved all the stables for their comfort. I hope you understand. All the other nimbles get a chuckle out of it. <laughs> if the PCs are forced to sleep outside, they can only gain the benefit of a short rest. Unless, of course, they find a happy solution to their problem. And this is a great opportunity for the folk hero background to come into play with rustic hospitality. <laughs> um, so, this we ran this... Uh, this was ran in an adventure I was in doing uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen, I think. It was, we were doing, there's one part in the, the adventure where you're just traveling the whole time. And this was an encounter that our DM threw at us uh, when I was playing an online game. And I thought it was very interesting. First of all, fuck nobles. And they're bullshit because this is something a snooty noble, noble you can see them doing it. But you can do it at any, any time. Um, what makes it worse is that by um, denying them of full benefits of a long rest, that makes the next day's encounters that much more challenging. What do you guys think about that? That noble is a dick. <laughs> yeah. If you've got somebody who's great at persuasion or will accept, is, will bribe them, it creates a more, this is more of a role play opportunity than it is, say, a combat. I about to say, I think some players would turn that into a combat encounter. Yeah, some people might. But, once again, they're going to be the villains then. The players then become the villains because... The, the the noble, while being a dickhead, he's not doing anything against the law. He bought and paid for the rooms. You don't get it. But Tough he, shit. Yeah, but he's being a big dick about it, so it's okay. No, no but, it, but, <laughs> know, it's, but, but the mm. point, you're, you're not wrong. That's how a lot of people would see it. And if your players do take it that way, they definitely need to have to deal with the consequences. Mm -hmm. Not only with attacking an, uh, 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 an unarmed noble uh, obviously he'll have guards to protect themselves but still you guys are becoming villains at that point or riding the, the the edge of being villains because now instead of oh okay well this guy's being a dick we need to resolve this another way persuasion bluff lie whatever if you can't you just stab him well now the guards are going to be after you and you're going to be wanted and they'll be tracking you and tra tra chasing you down to throw you in prison or put you on trial. Oh, of course. I'm just saying that is a mindset a lot of players would be having in that situation. As you yourself have said, too. But, but you're right. I do think it's important, too, that actions do have consequences. Not to say they won't come up with a clever solution. They might have to. But after traveling nonstop, sleeping on the ground, when mud and stuff is washing into your tent, probably not going to be a very good solution. I would say try diplomacy if uh, one of your players had a noble background, but I don't see that working. <laughs> No, um, and you actually mentioned that the, the folk hero background actually can come really in play here because if you don't know, the folk hero background has a thing called rustic hospitality where you can always find a, a home welcoming you in. So that can really let, let that person's background shine, which is something that doesn't happen as often. Nope. That is it for our encounter of the podcast. No more rooms. In this podcast, magic item is a symbiotic orb. The small fish-sized clear orb contains a black and white ooze substance that appears to violently slam against the inside of the container relentlessly in a sad attempt to escape. Engraved in the clear casing is a command word, Hilor. When you speak the command word, the glass case vanishes and the black and white ooze bursts free, latching onto you. The ooze begins spreading over your entire body, taking on a large, muscular, black humanoid form with a strange white insignia on your chest and black tendrils flailing from your body in all directions. You gain the following benefits for one minute. All strength. Score increases by four, but cannot exceed 20 from this effect. We gain the benefits of rage at its lowest level. The ooze around our body has twisting and whipping tendrils that appear to obey our thoughts. 
We can use an action to attack with the tendrils, making a melee attack for 2d6 plus your strength modifier. If we have extra attack, this replaces one of them. We choose a damage type from piercing, slashing, or bludgeoning as the ooze-like tendrils change shape to our needs. Nice. When you activate this item, you can't, <laughs> <laughs> you can't just change it like that. You want to keep going Venom or... Fuck yeah! <laughs> no, okay. I'm also hilarious, going back to Kane. <laughs> when you activate this item, you gain a new flaw. The symbiote is ravaging your mind and begins to influence your behavior. You must always reference yourself as we. When the effect ends, the ooze is forced back into its magical container. We must succeed. A DC 12 wisdom saving throw or roll on a short-term madness table in the DMG. This item has no limits on how many times you can use it per day, but each time it is freed, its strength of will increases the DC, for the save increases by 3. This is a sentient cursed item. Feel free to give it stats and a personality. I'm gonna eat your brain. Yeah, so obviously you're, you're noticing a small trend in some of our stuff today. Like I said, I'm really, I was really pretty hung up on the, the Venom trailer. Um, and so I thought, hey, what kind of magic items can I... And I'm not the only person that's doing this. I saw some PDFs flying around and some, some custom monsters. So, so this uh, item is obviously based on the Venom symbiote, um, the symbiotic orb. Um, what do you guys think of this? It definitely has a lot of role-playing opportunities, and it's a lot of flavor. Yeah, and honestly, it's actually not that powerful. Um, comparing it with a bunch of other items, yeah, your strength score increases by 4 to a maximum of 20. Some characters at level 1 can get to 18. So, ideally, it's not super strong, though, having a wizard use something like this, and their strength going to, you know, like a 16 or an 18 is still pretty potent. <laughs> or a monk. Or a monk, yeah, those two. Um, it doesn't actually give you extra attacks, it just supplements other attacks at the level of a great sword or a great uh, maul or whatever, the maul. Yep. Um, but what makes it interesting is its ability to choose the damaging type. Because you can shape the tendrils to either form a giant hammer and swing, you know, extending beyond your arm, or, or they just blast out as spikes out of your entire body and piercing them, and, um, or even sharp razor-sharp whips. And you get the benefits from a uh, rage as a, if it's a first-level barbarian, and that yes. gives you resi resistance to bludgeoning, flashing, piercing and, as well. And, and to me, that is one of the, the, the shinings of this item. Now, it has a high cost, though. Um, the Madness Table can do a lot of different things, uh, at its highest, I think it, it can incapacitate you for like 10 minutes. Um, so that you roll like a percentage die, right? Yeah. Um, while it might just stun you for a round or something like that. So there is risk with it, but it doesn't happen until after a minute. So the idea is that you should be able to get through an entire combat encounter before those risks kick in. Yeah. Um, that being said... It gives you a lot of cool stuff um, and a lot of great benefits, all for this amazing flavor. Um, also, you asked about the, the, the command word. That is Venom in Elvish. <laughs> so um, I have no idea how to pronounce it. I thought it was Hiloyer, but uh, however you want to say it. H-L-O-I-R-E. Um, so uh, I can totally see myself having a blast role-playing this as I burst it free and totally beginning to change my um, personality. And, you know, in the, in, the, in the trailer for the Venom thing, you know, when he accidentally beats the crap out of somebody, kind of as an unintentional response, he goes, why did we do that? 
and it wasn't even something that he thought about, you know? So right. to me, this seems really interesting and really fun and would create a lot of love and hate in the party. But what, what I do think is cool is, though, the being able to take half damage for a little while is, is huge. Oh, yeah. So it could be a way to buff up your... Uh, your your melee guys, or it could be a way to an oh shit button for your 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 wizards and your squishies. You know. Yep. Let's hope for the best. <laughs> that is our magic item, the symbiotic orb. Yay. I also submitted this to Gabe's Interparty Conflict because I want to hear what they have to say about it. Nice. So I'm looking forward to see what they think. That'll do it for our magic item of the podcast, the symbiotic orb. And next up is a dungeon master's tip. Theme variation. It's a good idea to mix things up once in a while, so that your players can enjoy a variety of adventure structures. Even if you have a tightly themed campaign, it's okay to veer off course occasionally. And if your theme involves lots and lots of dungeon crawls or exploration, add a bit of mystery into a few sessions. Likewise, if you have lots of mystery, maybe throw in a little bit of political intrigue. And if your campaign is a little bit more on the serious side, Thoughts a goofy or silly villain for a bit of lighthearted fun to allow for more of a reset to the tension. And make sure you provide a variety of themes and villains to your campaign. And these often can breathe new life into a campaign and keep it from becoming too predictable. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, this is something that, this is kind of a thing that I learned pretty big from 4th edition. Because in 4th edition, almost everything seems like a dungeon crawl or a skill check, right? Yeah. Um, and it, was, it seemed less about, you know, the different styles of themes than it do about getting into the next room and killing the next group of monsters. With this one, I cannot stress enough how important it is to have an occasional switch up. Like, once again, I know how you feel about Curse of the Strahd because you spent so much time on it. That's one that's got a very particular tone. And if you run that for a long time, it can get kind of down. So having a one-shot or having a side adventure in Barovia yeah. where there's a little bit of humor, maybe the guy you talk to is a cross-eyed and you DM the whole time cross-eyed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, create a little bit of, you know, uh, loosen up the, the tension and make it a little more fun going. Otherwise, everyone, you can get burnt out by a particular theme over and over. Oh, yeah. So Especially when you start to expect the traditional tropes, so... That'll do it for our Dungeon Master Tip of the Podcast, Theme Variation. Our player tip of the podcast today is... Don't be a dick! Recognize the storytelling power that is at your disposal as a player. This is something that gets overlooked so much. Storytelling is the DM's job. A common belief that could not really be any more wrong in my opinion. True. Everyone has a hand in storytelling of the game. Whether you're aware of that control or not... I hope to fix that. Unlike the classic storytelling um, where there's one author and he's talking to the audience or there's the, the fucking, what are they, the bards, you know, singing the, singing the songs. There's not a lot of control, but D&D players create stories via their choices. Every choice you make, every question you ask. This is a bit more subtle, and because of it, I think it's kind of often overlooked. The DM may be in charge of what you're seeing, but you decide what you're actually focusing on or what you are actually looking at that may not seem like much but it's a very powerful and tricky tool that can influence the story nate says uh everyone is responsible for driving the story forward this isn't a damn video game it sounds says this is dnd you don't affect if you don't affect the story you're gonna die <laughs> that's true so the example i got here is <laughs> if your party finds themselves in a city with hundreds of people how many people have done that? I've done that. Have you ever yeah, done that? Yeah. That's a pretty common one. It's likely that the DM is really going to f- only fleshed out a few of them in the context of the story, right? 
That's how I do it. I say, okay, there's a guy that's running this shop here. There's a guy that's running the place. There's a guy that's the captain of the guard. And here's the people that are important to the story, right? That's, that's, that's normal. But in the context of that story, you have the power. If you ask a random merchant about his family, the DM has to respond, right? Either off the cuff or scripted, or maybe, maybe he does have it all prepared. Unlikely, but okay. So, for example, if the, store, if the merchant states that he doesn't have, have a family and you ask why, what happened to them, if they were killed... I hate kids. Most women find me unattractive. When and where? <laughs> By whom? <laughs> ask a random merchant how his mom was doing. Got it. You're, you're, <laughs> That's Ryan. <laughs> your questions help make the world feel alive. Now, that may seem not important, but if it's important to you, if the DM is worth his or her shit, they should be able to, to see that that's important to you. So now that that's important to me, I asked this guy, his name's John, and John says his family was killed by werewolves. If that's interesting to me, I was like, well, is that why you're living here? Is that why you're working here? And, do you, you know, those become important to you and thus has to become important to the DM to an extent. Does that lead into a side quest that you're now going to want revenge over these werewolves and have to hunt them down? That You're now driving that story. <laughs> hey, Ryan, hey, John, how's your mom? <laughs> the point is, is that you as the player, when you take interest in on, interest on stuff, it forces the DM to react and flesh out that stuff. That's why being an explorer and a lore seeker is its own player archetype. Now, uh, you have this control, and because of it, you can manipulate the story a bit. Now, don't, don't do this if you don't actually have interest in it. The last thing you want to do is make your DM work extra hard to flesh out something you don't give two shits about. But if you genuinely do care, you can help flesh out this world. And if a DM is, can, can't deliver right on the spot, ask them if they need a second. Do you need a second to come up with something? I'll wait. You know? You have, as a player, you've got so much more control than you realize. Recognize the storytelling power that you have at your disposal and utilize it to enhance the story of the game. And even just the regular NPC interactions. Don't be afraid to give them some flavor. But like, uh, I guess we're on the player tip. But like, uh, you walk into the merchant and the very first merchant is like, Welcome, stranger! What are you buying? Resident Evil 4 fans out there. <laughs> yeah. That'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't, Don't be, be a, a dick. dick. And you can avoid dickitude by... Recognize the storytelling power that's at your disposal. Players never care. Murder hobos. <laughs> Hashtag, <laughs> Hashtag murder, murder hobos. hobos. Uh, before we close out, we have one more gift to give away. Compliments of Jeff Stevens. It's been a long few days of travel, and the adventurers are tired of eating rations and sleeping on the ground. The road opens to a small town with an inviting tavern. The smells of grilling meat and ale fill their nostrils and the sound of laughter and music float out the tavern's door. Unlucky for the adventurers, they've stumbled upon Dragon's Breath Tavern. What starts out as a pleasant evening of food, drink, and entertainment soon evolves into an adventure that takes the party into and under Dragon's Breath Tavern. The adventure includes roleplay, exploration, combat, and a dice game called Demon Dice. And today's winner is Stephen underscore Keats. When it comes crashing down and it hurts inside You gotta take a stand, it don't help to hide Oh, look at these cannons. <laughs> <laughs> Remember Gabriel talking about that? 
So this kid came up to him and says, oh, I need my medicine. And he looks down and says, What's wrong? Are you okay? What, what do you need your medicine for? He goes, I need it because these pythons are sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that shit's funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> Those posters out of the poster. Tell you what, Nate, I'll draw them up for you. <laughs> so, congratulations, Stephen Keats. If you enjoy the adventure, please head on over and let Jeff Stevens know. Follow the link in your email and leave him a review. Tell him what you like, what you didn't like, and if you enjoy it, tell a friend. Please join us in our next episode where we hear feedback from you, our heroes. We will be discussing how to run political intrigue, espionage, sabotage, and similar cloak and dagger activities in your campaign. Because what you don't know is what kills you. It's true. The guy that knows more always has the edge. <laughs> what doesn't kill you gets you later. <laughs> if you have any <laughs> feedback on our tips and tricks or topics you'd like to submit to us, please send them to us. You can email them to us at CritAcademy at Gmail, or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at CritAcademy. We hope you've enjoyed your experience here at the Crit Academy. If you did, you can help others find our show by leaving a hopefully five-star review on iTunes or by telling a friend. You can also just send us a message telling us how much you enjoyed the show. Make sure to subscribe to our show at CritAcademy.com where we can help you on your future adventures as well as have be entered to win cool prizes each and every week. It's important to note that we have lots of great stuff on our website. Uh, I've got a blog that I'm gradually working towards doing more frequently as a reliable post as opposed to just like Facebook and Twitter. But we have swag. If you like, if you want a shirt with our name on it, tell everyone that you're part of Crit Nation. <gasps> we do not have a shirt that says Crit Nation on it. We need to nope. do that. Now, speaking of which. Who's a witch? You. Okay. You need to burn him. <laughs> but does no. he weigh as much as a duck? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I weigh like 20 duck. ducks, man. <laughs> No, uh, I got a lot of ideas and drawings I want to do for those shirts. Well, how about so, you get me one first? Hashtag, I did get you one. You already have one. You need more. <laughs> one thing I want to uh, I, I want to talk about is we now have an affiliate with DMs Guild. So if you do decide to purchase anything, like that awesome Monsters of the Guild, I got the book, by the way. It's fucking amazing. If you want to purchase something on DMs Guild, if you go to our website, there's a banner. If you use that to link, they give us a small kickback if you purchase anything. So that could, that's a good way to help our show without having to do anything really extra. So Neat. And make sure you subscribe to yep. our show at CreditCamby.com so we can help you on your future adventures as well as a chance to win cool prizes each and every week. You'll also find links to our fellowship members there as well. Yes, definitely check out our fellowship members. We got a great collection of people ranging from uh, the Facebook group Game Master Stash, who post stuff all day long, to Inner Party Conflict with Jeff and Gabe, who answer your questions every day to help bring you the best tabletop experience possible, as well as D&D Character Lab, where they write up creative characters every week and pit them together in a battle of wits kind of bard style. It's pretty awesome. Um, and then, of course, we have you know Jeff Stevens on there and Laura Smith and all those people are, are over there, so check them out. Sam has an awesome idea, and I don't know how we're going to be able to do something like that. Okay, well, what does it say? Any chance of a Crit Nation, Crit Academy, with my name on it somewhere, I'd pay well for that. I understand the elevated cost for custom screen printing. Oh, something that like Jersey. Blank is part of Crit Academy or something like that. I can make that happen. Obviously, there's a little bit additional cost for it, but if you would like a custom shirt that says something unique, just let me know, and I think I can make that happen. Nice. Um, obviously, there's additional cost to it, but I'm pretty sure I can make that happen. <laughs> Old school iron. <laughs> for top-tier patrons, yeah, shirts aren't cheap. I would have to add another tier just to get you a shirt. Um, I definitely will take that into consideration, Sam, and I think that's a great, great idea. This episode is edited 
by Can it blah, blah, blah. Can this it. hey shut up, asshole. This episode is edited by Camden Sonic Stacy. He's got an awesome profile picture <laughs> added to our website. You should check it out on the about stuff about us. Section. What kind of fuse is that? It's Canon fuse. What do you use it for? My Canon. <laughs> um oh, one more one more thing. Uh I hope this really goes well. Camden is going to be in charge of our live feed audio for adding sound effects and stuff to our game as we go. Neat. For our Wednesday and Sunday game. So if that works, that might become a normal thing for our monthly patron games. Um, that being said, I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Brandon. I'm your co-host, Ian. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Heroes. <laughs>